Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Young teacher, the subject of schoolgirl fantasy She wants him so badly, knows what she wants to be Inside her, there's longing, this girl's an open page Bookmarking, she's so close now, this girl is half his age
Welcome to the I Am Vinyl Podcast. My name is Pete LaRussa, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in here at cnjradio.com, or if you're a subscriber via Apple Podcasts. And today's episode is the Vinylversary Edition, Volume 4, solely dedicated to albums that have recently hit a milestone anniversary since Volume 3 was released on September 23rd, 2020. Leading off this episode was the opening track, Don't Stand So Close to Me, from the third studio album by The Police, entitled Zenyata Mondada, which was released 40 years ago on October 3rd, 1980, and would go on to peak at number 5 on the Billboard Top 200 album chart, and would go on to be certified double platinum as of this time. It was their first album to break through into the top 20 and would become their biggest selling album at the time, breaking them even further into the mainstream than they already were to this point. This track was taken from my Columbia House pressing that I found in one of the used bins at Princeton Record Exchange some years ago. Don't Stand So Close To Me would go on to peak at number 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 singles chart. The same result would happen for the follow-up single, Da Do Do Do, Da 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 Da, when it would go on to peak at number 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 singles chart. Zenyata Mondada was a staple in the La Russa household and during family road trips to see relatives, and has been my favorite album by The Police ever since. To me, it was the perfect choice to open this latest Vinylversary edition, among a few others that could have been chosen. Let's move on immediately to the next track in this episode. It comes from an album that recently hit its 30th anniversary of being released back on October 23, 1990. It's the third studio album by King's X, entitled Faith, Hope, Love which would go on to peak at number 85 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart. This would become the second album I'd ever purchased by King's X following their previous album from 1989, Gretchen Goes to Nebraska. I'd personally rank it up there with their fifth album, Dogman, as my favorite album by King's X. The track I'm going to play is taken from the 2LP 180-gram reissue of Faith, Hope, Love, that was released by Metal Blade Records on May 18, 2015, as part of their entire series of 2LP 180 gram reissues of their entire Atlantic Records catalog, which I highly recommend seeking out if you're a King's X fan, as they are top notch pressings from the album packaging to the audio and vinyl quality of all six albums. It's the first single and video that was released from the album and would go on to peak at number six on the Billboard US mainstream rock charts and its video would receive numerous airings on MTV's Headbangers Ball upon its release, with some occasional airings during their regular rotation hours. And the song is called, It's Love. Yeah. 
That was King's X with one of my favorite singles from the 90s, It's Love, from the album Faith, Hope, Love. And next up, we're going back to 1975 for an album that hit its 45th anniversary of being released back on September 24th, 1975. It's the third studio album from Rush entitled Caress of Steel, which would go on to peak at number 148 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart and is certified gold at this time. The band members of Rush have spoken about how dismal of a tour it would turn out to be in support of this album, as sales were not up to Mercury Records' expectations, and as a result, Rush were eventually given an ultimatum when it came to their next album, which would become their breakthrough album as many fans would come to know as 2112. I discussed this time period during episodes 13 and 14, a tribute to Rush and Neil Peart, and while choosing the tracks that I wanted to play for those episodes, the track that I'm going to play from Caress of Steel was my second choice behind Bastille Day, which I could not fit into those episodes as I was set on 30 tracks to represent their discography. And it's taken from the 200 gram audio file remaster and reissue that was released on February 24th, 2015. And the song is called Lakeside Park.
together Though it's just a memory Some memories last forever That was Rush with Lakeside Park from the album Caress of Steel. And we're not done with Rush as a little over 10 years later, they would release their 11th studio album 35 years ago on October 14th, 1985, which is entitled Power Windows. The album would go on to peak at number 10 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart and is currently certified platinum as of now. This album would continue a trend of albums that began with Signals from 1982, in which keyboards were heavily used. As I mentioned earlier, I had discussed this time period during episodes 13 and 14, a tribute to Rush and Neil Peart, and while choosing the tracks that I wanted to play for those episodes, the track that I'm going to play from Power Windows was one of three choices that I had made behind Marathon, which I could not fit into those episodes, as I was set on 30 tracks to represent their discography. And it's taken from the 200 gram audiophile remaster and reissue that was released on January 15th, 2016. And it's the opening track on the album and the first single and video that was released on September 26th, 1985 to promote the album and would go on to peak slightly above the top 40 at number 45 on the Billboard Hot 100 singles chart. And the song is called the big money.
That was Rush with The Big Money from the album Power Windows. And next up, we're going back 15 years from 1985 for an album which recently hit its 50th anniversary of being released back on October 5th, 1970. It's the third album by Led Zeppelin, simply titled Three, which would go on to peak at number one on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart to become their second number one album following Led Zeppelin II, peaking at number one during the previous year of 1969. The album has been certified over six times platinum as of now. Earlier in the year on episode 15, another random set of 25 songs, the February 2020 edition, I had opened this episode with the album opener, Immigrant Song, which would become the first single that was released on Led Zeppelin 3 on November 5, 1970, and would go on to peak at number 16 on the Hot 100 singles chart. I had mentioned that Led Zeppelin 3 was one of the first albums in my childhood hand-me-down vinyl collection, and that the Immigrant Song has always been my favorite track on the album. If I had to pick a second track on the album, it would be the song I'm going to play right now. It's taken from the 180 gram reissue that was remastered by guitarist Jimmy Page, and was released back on June 2nd, 2014. It's the second track on side two, and the song is called Tangerine.
That was Led Zeppelin with Tangerine from their third album, Three. And now, I think it's about that time we pick up the pace after the first five tracks and get into a small section of records that have recently hit milestone anniversaries within punk and hardcore music. First up is an album that recently hit its 40th anniversary of release, which took place on October 1st, 1980. It's the debut album by The Circle Jerks, which is entitled Group Sex, containing 14 songs at a total running time of 15 minutes and 25 seconds. Some of the tracks were written by vocalist Keith Morris while he had been in Black Flag prior to leaving the band. Guitarist Greg Hetson would go on to join Bad Religion and remain with the band from 1984 to 2013, and vocalist Keith Morris is currently fronting the band off. The album wouldn't go on to place anywhere within the Billboard charts, but it is considered to be one of the greatest hardcore punk albums ever recorded and released. The track I'm going to play is taken from the 180-gram translucent green vinyl reissue that was released sometime in 2017, and I picked up sometime a handful of years ago in great condition in the used section at Princeton Record Exchange. And the song is called Operation. was the Circle Jerks with Operation from the album Group Sex. As we continue with another release within punk and hardcore music that has hit a milestone anniversary as of this year. On the last Vinylversary edition, Volume 3, which was released back on September 23, 2020, I had acknowledged the 25th anniversary of the release of Mantra by the band Shelter. An East Coast band that I had mentioned were known for bringing Krishna consciousness to the attention of those who were into punk and hardcore music. Prior to the formation of Shelter, vocalist Ray Capo had been in Youth of Today initially from 1985 to 1990, before a few reunions would take place later on. While I cannot find a definitive release date, Youth of Today would release their final studio recordings on Revelation Records 30 years ago in 1990, a self-titled three-track seven-inch release that would top out at a little under six minutes. Back in the early 90s, when I started getting into punk and hardcore music thanks to friends like Frank Verderame, 
Youth of Today were one of the first bands that I would get into, and this 7-inch was one of the earliest purchases I had made. Only this was originally purchased on cassette at the time, since this 7-inch was also released on cassette and CD. These days, I now own this 7-inch on all three formats, and my original cassette copy was definitely worn out back in the early 90s. The track I'm going to play is taken from the translucent green vinyl 7-inch reissue that was released sometime in 2015. And it's the opening track, and is easily one of my favorite hardcore tracks of all time, and one of my favorite opening tracks in hardcore, whether it be a 12-inch, 10-inch, or a 7-inch release. And the song is called Disengage. That was Youth of Today with Disengage from their self-titled 7-inch released 30 years ago in 1990. Next up will be the third and last track of this section and acknowledging records that have recently hit milestone anniversaries within punk and hardcore music. Around the same time that I got into hardcore bands on Revelation Records such as Youth of Today and Judge in the very early 90s, I was also listening to the Gorilla Biscuits self-titled 7-inch from 1988 and their full-length LP, Start Today, from 1989, a lot. Unfortunately, by the time I discovered these bands, they had recently broken up. After former Gorilla Biscuits guitarist, bassist, and songwriter Walter Schreifels had already formed the band Quicksand and signed to a major label and had released two albums between 1993 and 1995, 
he managed to reunite some of the members of various lineups of the Gorilla Biscuits, along with vocalist Anthony Civarelli, and would go on to form the band Civ. Walter would go on to write and produce their debut album, Set Your Goals, with Don Fury co-producing, while also playing on the entire album uncredited. Drummer Sammy Siegler and Walter also comprised half of the lineup of Youth of Today, as heard on Disengage earlier, which, as with Set Your Goals, was recorded at Don Fury Studios. Before Siv's debut album would be released, I would attend a show in early 1995 at the Limelight here in New York City, which included Siv making their live debut on a New York stage. Joining them on the bill that night was Shelter and Sick of It All. Siv made a huge impression on me and those in attendance that night, and I ended up picking up a white band logo t-shirt and their debut 7-inch record on Revelation Records for the song Can't Wait One Minute More, backed with Etu Brute. Then I waited for a release date announcement for their full-length debut album. For some reason, there is no definitive release date for Set Your Goals. The only result that shows up when searching for a release date 25 years ago is October 1995. The album would go on to be released by Lava Atlantic Records for CDs and cassettes, and Revelation Records for vinyl releases. The album would go on to peak at number 11 on the Billboard Heat Seekers chart, and the first single from the album, Can't Wait One Minute More, would go on to peak at number 21 on the Billboard Modern Rock Tracks chart. I do recall that the album was released not too long after Shelter's Mantra, which I acknowledged on the last Vinylversary edition. It would become an album that I'd listen to back-to-back with Mantra very often for the remainder of 1995 and well into 1996. After the album was released, my friends and I would go on to attend many live shows where they shared stages along with bands such as The Deftones, Smile, and Sick of It All, and when they also appeared as part of The Warp Tour. One of my favorite times seeing them live was by complete surprise, when they were asked to open for KISS on one of the 1996 reunion tour shows at Madison Square Garden on July 26, 1996, since they were managed by Scott McGee, with KISS being managed by Doc McGee. I had tickets for every show that week, and just assumed the same opening band from the previous night, Degeneration, would be opening the show again. Thankfully, I showed up early enough to be completely surprised, and possibly the biggest fan in the room that night. The track I'm going to play is the lead single that I mentioned earlier, which would go on to appear in commercials, and would be played in arenas during sports events such as the New York Rangers hockey games, and its video would be given the buzz clip status by MTV with numerous airings during daytime and primetime hours. It's taken from the limited edition 180 gram green vinyl pressing that was released by Revelation Records, on September 16th, 2016, featuring guest vocalist Lou Kohler from Sick of It All, here is Siv with Can't Wait One Minute More.
That was Civ with Can't Wait One Minute More from the album Set Your Goals. Now I want to get into a series of tracks related to The Who, as three albums have hit milestone anniversaries this year. First up is an album I just picked up recently in one of the used bins at a record store called Low Fidelic Records in Belmar, New Jersey. It's the second solo album by lead vocalist Roger Daltrey, entitled Ride a Rock Horse, which was originally released 45 years ago on July 4th, 1975, and would go on to peak at number 28 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart. The album was produced and mostly written by Russ Ballard. When I noticed this while looking at the album, I thought this would be a positive, given some of Russ Ballard's great work with some other notable artists. This turned out to be a correct assumption, and is an album I would recommend to fans of The Who that haven't heard much or any of Roger Daltrey's solo work. The track I'm going to play is the third single that was released from the album in early 1976, and it's the third track on the album, which did not place within the Billboard Hot 100 singles chart, but to me is one of Roger Daltrey's best vocal performances. And the song is called Oceans Away.
That was Roger Daltrey with Oceans Away from the album Ride a Rock Horse. As we'll move on immediately to the next album in this series of tracks related to The Who that I want to acknowledge on this Finalversary edition. After picking up that Roger Daltrey record recently, I had a look to see what the official release date was for the studio album released by The Who in 1975 out of curiosity to see how far apart each album was released in the same year. And it turns out their seventh studio album, The Who by Numbers, was released 45 years ago here in the U.S. on October 25, 1975, while being released a few weeks earlier in the U.K. on October 3, 1975. The album would go on to peak at number 8 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart and is certified platinum to date. The lead single, Squeezebox, would go on to peak at number 16 on the Billboard Hot 100 Singles chart to become their sixth U.S. Top 20 hit at the time. While the album is certainly no who's next in terms of overall album quality to me, it does include the soundtrack to one of the best scenes in one of my all-time favorite music-related movies, The Kids Are Alright. The Psy 2 opener, Success Story. And that is the track I've chosen to play to represent this album. From The Who by Numbers, here is Success Story.
That was The Who with Success Story from the album The Who by Numbers. And now let's move on to the final album in this series of tracks related to The Who that I want to acknowledge on this Vinylversary edition. Ten years following the release of Roger Daltrey's Ride a Rock Horse and The Who's The Who by Numbers, Roger Daltrey would release his sixth solo album, Under a Raging Moon, 35 years ago, sometime in September of 1985. The album would feature many guest musicians who took part in the recording of the album, along with the songwriting. Russ Ballard was brought on board once again and wrote one of the tracks on the album, along with playing guitar and contributing on background vocals. Also, a songwriting team that may be familiar to KISS fans took part in the creation of this album. That team would be Brian Adams and Jim Valance. Brian Adams is also credited with playing guitar on the album. Along with those participants, Pete Townsend would also offer one of his contributions with the lead single on the album entitled After the Fire, which would go on to peak at number 48 on the Billboard Hot 100 singles chart. The title track on the album, Under a Raging Moon, is a tribute to drummer Keith Moon, who as many know passed away on September 7, 1978, and features a section of drumming exhibitions in tribute to Keith Moon by the following drummers. Martin Chambers, Roger Taylor, Cozy Powell, Stuart Copeland, Ringo Starr's son, Zach Starkey, who would go on to become the drummer for The Who in more recent years, Carl Palmer, and Mark Brzecki. Someday I will play this track on this podcast, but for now, the track I'm going to play is one of the songs that was written by Brian Adams and Jim Valance. It's one of my favorite album tracks that wasn't given a single release. It's the second-to-last track on the album before the as-mentioned title track which closes the album. And the song is called Rebel. Yeah, boy. 
That was Roger Daltrey with Rebel from the album Under a Raging Moon. Next up is a reissue of an album that I ordered recently from Hot Tracks. After it was delivered, I checked on the original release date and found that this album was released 30 years ago on January 23, 1990. It's the debut album from Slaughter entitled Stick It To Ya, which would go on to peak at number 18 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart and would go on to platinum-selling status with over a million copies sold. The KISS fans who may be tuning in are likely very familiar with how Slaughter was formed out of the demise of the Vinnie Vincent invasion. After that band had officially ended following two albums, which were released between 1986 and 1988, Chrysalis Records offered a new contract to vocalist Mark Slaughter and bassist Dana Strum to form a new band. Even though I was a huge KISS fan at this point, I hadn't known about this until a Saturday night while I was watching MTV's Headbangers Ball, and their first single and video premiered for the third track on the album, Up All Night, which would go on to peak at number 27 on the Billboard Hot 100 singles chart. After I received my first CD player for my 14th birthday a few months after the album was released, Stick It To You would become one of the first CDs I'd ever purchase. Months later, I would attend my first KISS show on the Hot in the Shade tour, which took place at Madison Square Garden on November 9th, 1990. The opening bands on this night were Slaughter and Winger. I can still recall being really impressed with their live set, and they really went over well with the KISS fans that night. The track I'm going to play is taken from a recent reissue that was released on May 7th, 2020. It's from a limited edition translucent gold vinyl that was released by Friday Music and is limited to 500 copies. It's the song I mentioned earlier, which would become the first song I'd ever hear from Slaughter, thanks to the premiere of the video on MTV's Headbangers Ball. And the song is called Up All Night.
That was Slaughter with Up All Night from the album Stick It To Ya. As it's time to acknowledge an album that I had forgotten to include in the last Vinylversary edition. During the last edition, I had acknowledged the 50th anniversary of the release of the second album by Black Sabbath entitled Paranoid, which was released on September 18, 1970. A little under five years later, Black Sabbath would release their sixth album entitled Sabotage, which was originally released 45 years ago on July 28, 1975, and would go on to peak at number 28 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart and is currently certified gold. On episode 26, which featured tracks taken from my picks that I purchased from day two of the 2020 Record Store Day drop, I played Sepultura's version of Symptom of the Universe from the compilation Nativity in Black, a tribute to Black Sabbath. Taken from the Rhino Records 180-gram reissue of Sabotage, which was released on August 9, 2011, here's Black Sabbath with the original version of Symptom of the Universe.
That was Black Sabbath with Symptom of the Universe from the album Sabotage. As we're going to move forward five years from 1975 to 1980 with vocalist Ozzy Osbourne and acknowledge his first solo album, Blizzard of Oz, which was released 40 years ago on September 20th, 1980. The album would go on to peak at number 21 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart and is certified as multi-platinum with over 5 million copies sold. Ozzy Osbourne had been asked to leave Black Sabbath at the conclusion of their tour in support of their 1978 album, Never Say Die. In early 1980, Ozzy would begin collaborating on new music with bassist Bob Daisley and former Quiet Riot guitarist Randy Rhodes. Rounding out the recording lineup with former Uriah Heap drummer Lee Kerslake, the band would go on to record and complete Blizzard of Oz with producer Max Norman, and the first single, Crazy Train, would go on to become one of Ozzy Osbourne's most popular songs of his solo career. This would not be without controversy, as the original plan for the release of the album was to bill the band as The Blizzard of Oz, with Ozzy Osbourne's name in smaller print. However, when the album was released, it would become the opposite of what was originally discussed with the band and resembled much more of a solo album than a band effort. As longtime fans know, these controversies wouldn't go away within the Osbournes' management, and I'm just going to leave it there as this segment can go on and on with these controversies alone. Tragically, Randy Rhodes would be killed in a plane crash on March 19, 1982, silencing one of the most gifted lead guitarists of a generation and continuing to make us wonder what could have been had that accident not occurred. The track I'm going to play is the first song that was written by Ozzy along with Bob Daisley and Randy Rhodes. It's the third track on the album, which features one of my favorite guitar solos by Randy Rhodes. And the song is called Goodbye to Romance. Oh, no. 
That was Ozzy Osbourne with Goodbye to Romance from the album Blizzard of Oz. Now it's time to move forward 10 years from 1980 to 1990 and acknowledge three albums that were released by three very well-known thrash metal bands 30 years ago. First up is the fourth album by Megadeth entitled Rust in Peace, which was originally released on September 24th, 1990. The album would go on to peak at number 23 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart and is certified platinum as of now. This is following two previously platinum certified albums, Peace Sells But Who's Buying from 1986 and So Far So Good So What from 1988. Although I was already familiar with Megadeth by this time and had heard their first three albums, Rust in Peace would become the first album I'd purchased by Megadeth when I picked up the cassette before the end of 1990. To this day, I still think this is their best album, with Peace Sells But Who's Buying and So Far So Good So What right behind it. The track I'm going to play is taken from the Capitol Records Vault's limited edition 180 gram reissue that was released on October 28, 2008. To me, it's one of the best album openers of the 90s. And the song is called Holy Wars. The punishment due. Holy 
That was Megadeth with Holy Wars, The Punishment Due, from the album Rust in Peace. And next up is the second of three albums that were released by three very well-known thrash metal bands 30 years ago. A little over two weeks after the release of Megadeth's Rust in Peace, Testament would also release their fourth album entitled Souls of Black on October 9th, 1990, which would go on to peak at number 73 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart. Following the lead of fellow Bay Area thrash metal band Metallica, who had recorded their legendary thrash metal ballad Fade to Black on their second album from 1984, Ride the Lightning, Testament would also go on to record a few of their own thrash metal ballads throughout their albums recorded and released on Megaforce and Atlantic Records. On episode 7, another random set of 25 songs, the October 2019 edition, I had played a song simply titled The Ballad from their third album from 1989, Practice What You Preach, which I had acknowledged had turned 30 years old last year. Taken from the Music on Vinyl 180-gram vinyl pressing of their follow-up album, Souls of Black, which was released on May 9, 2016, here's another great thrash metal ballad by Testament that has always been a favorite of mine since this album was released. It's the second single and video that was released from the album, and its title shares its name from their debut album from 1987. And the song is called The Legacy.
That was Testament with The Legacy from the album Souls of Black, as now it's time for the last of three albums that were released by three very well-known thrash metal bands 30 years ago. Released on the same day as Testament's fourth album, Souls of Black, Slayer would release their fifth album, Seasons in the Abyss, 30 years ago on October 9, 1990. The album would go on to peak at number 40 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart, which would become their first Top 40 album and their highest charting album at the time, and would go on to become their third gold-certified album in a row, following Rain and Blood from 1986 and South of Heaven from 1988. This was around the time that I really began to get into Slayer's music, and this would become the first album that I would pick up and add to my music collection when I found an original previously opened vinyl pressing with some light surface marks on the vinyl and a slightly damaged inner sleeve for only $1.99 not too long after the album was released at a local store called Music Stop, which closed a long time ago. The track I'm going to play is taken from that vinyl copy that I just mentioned, and it's the opening track and first single that was released from the album, and in which its video would see significant weekly airplay on MTV's Headbangers Ball. And the song is called War Ensemble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
was Slayer with War Ensemble from the album Seasons in the Abyss, closing a block of three albums that were released by three very well-known thrash metal bands 30 years ago. However, with this next album, we're still acknowledging the year of 1990 as eight days before Testament released Souls of Black and Slayer released Seasons in the Abyss, Iron Maiden released their eighth studio album, No Prayer for the Dying, 30 years ago on October 1st, 1990. Their first of two albums to be released here in the U.S. on Epic Records, which would go on to peak at number 12 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart and is currently certified gold. Aside from signing a new record deal here in the States, other changes had taken place within the band when guitarist Adrian Smith had decided to leave the band following the tour for their previous album, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. Guitarist Yannick Gears would be brought in to replace Adrian Smith, following him being included as part of Bruce Dickinson's band on his debut solo album, Tattooed Millionaire, released earlier in the year on May 8, 1990, an album which was acknowledged on Episode 21, the Vinylversary Edition, Volume 2. Although I was familiar with a lot of Iron Maiden's music by this time, and had borrowed their albums from friends to listen to, and grab some tracks for my mixtapes. This is the first Iron Maiden album that I've ever purchased when I found an original Epic Records CD at a local used CD store very early into 1991. While not being a huge fan favorite among Iron Maiden fans, and with it containing a few of their worst songs, I think there's some good songs on the album that still hold up very well. Taken from my original US special limited edition Blood Red vinyl pressing, The track I'm going to play is one of my favorites among their tracks that I'd consider to be an Iron Maiden ballad. More times than not, eventually the time comes within one of these ballads for the band to launch into one of their signature Maiden gallop sections before the conclusion of the song, and this track is no exception. It's the title track on the album, and the song is called No Prayer for the Dying.
That was Iron Maiden with the title track from the album, No Prayer for the Dying. And we're not done with Iron Maiden in this episode, as once again, as we had in the last Finalversary Edition, Volume 3, we have multiple albums from their discography that have recently hit milestone anniversaries since that last episode was released on September 23, 2020. The next one up is an album that was released five years and one day after their eighth studio album, No Prayer for the Dying, on October 2nd, 1995. However, before that day would arrive, there was another big change within the band. Following vocalist Bruce Dickinson's departure from Iron Maiden after completing their tour for their ninth studio album 
and their second and last album released in the U.S. on Epic Records entitled Fear of the Dark, Iron Maiden had the extremely tough task of replacing one of the best frontmen in heavy metal history. It was decided that Wolfsbane vocalist Blaze Bailey would be chosen as the new vocalist and frontman for Iron Maiden. 25 years ago, on October 2, 1995, Iron Maiden would release their 10th studio album and their first of two albums with their new frontman, Blaze Bailey, entitled The X Factor, which would go on to peak at number 147 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart. It would also be their first album to be released on an independent label here in the U.S. on CMC International, while the band would continue to release their albums on EMI Records in the U.K. The track I'm going to play is the first single from the album that was released on September 25, 1995, and would go on to eventually be added to live sets after Bruce Dickinson returned as frontman for Iron Maiden in 1999. This track draws its inspiration from the movie Falling Down, starring Michael Douglas from 1993. And the song is called Man on the Edge.
That was Iron Maiden with Man on the Edge from the album The X Factor. And now it's time for the last of three albums by Iron Maiden that have recently hit a milestone anniversary. This time we're heading backwards from The X Factor in 1995 with Blaze Bailey to 1985 with an album that many heavy metal fans would consider to be one of, if not, the greatest live albums ever recorded and released. 35 years ago, on October 14, 1985, Iron Maiden would release their first of many live albums with the two-LP set entitled Live After Death. An accompanying VHS home video cassette would also be released. The album would go on to peak at number 19 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart and is certified platinum to date. This was one of the first Iron Maiden albums that caught my attention thanks to seeing it in someone's collection sometime around 1986 and made me realize the band existed thanks to seeing the album cover and legendary artwork by Derek Riggs, who has created the band's most iconic album covers. The track I'm going to play is taken from the 2LP 180 gram reissue that was released on December 23rd, 2013. It's the second track on the album following Ace is High, just as it follows that song on the album Power Slave from 1984. And the song is called Two Minutes to Midnight.
That was Iron Maiden with Two Minutes to Midnight from the album Live After Death. I've always liked where Adrian Smith's background vocals sit in the mix on all of the choruses on that live version. They're even more present in the mix on the home video version. If this is a live album that you've never heard or seen in its entirety, I highly recommend checking it out. And now it's time for the last track in this Vinylversary edition. On the last Vinylversary edition, Volume 3, I had acknowledged the 35th anniversary of the first album by S.O.D., otherwise known as The Stormtroopers of Death, which was entitled Speak English or Die. I had mentioned how this band and album was born out of guitarist Scott Ian and drummer Charlie Benante having time available after they had completed their tracks for their second studio album, which was to be completed and released by Anthrax. Once completed, the album would be entitled Spreading the Disease and would be released 35 years ago on October 30th, 1985. The album would go on to peak at number 113 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart, and there's no overall album sales and certification information at this time. The track I'm going to play comes from my original 1985 vinyl pressing that was given to me by my older brother Vincent, along with original copies of the follow-up album Among the Living from 1986 and the I'm the Man EP from 1987. It's the first single and video from the album, which MTV infamously felt was degrading to the mentally ill and didn't receive very much airplay as a result. Similar to what would happen to the Ramones with their video for Psychotherapy from their album Subterranean Jungle from 1983. And the song is called Madhouse.
That was Anthrax with Madhouse from the album Spreading the Disease. And I want to send that closing track out to my good friend and podcasting brother, Joey Haney, from the Rock Strikes 10 podcast and the cnjradio.com family. And that is going to wrap it up for this episode of the I Am Vinyl podcast, which I hope you all enjoyed. And as always, I encourage you all to please check out our other shows here at cnjradio.com. The Wrestling House Show, Rock Strikes 10, The Synaptic Empire, Talking Rock, and The Last Theater. And now you could write to me at IamVinylPodcast at gmail.com and let me know what you'd like to hear on the show in the future and would also like to see on the I Am Vinyl Podcast Network on YouTube, which you could find on YouTube under the name of Pete LaRusso28, spelled out as one word, or if you search for the I Am Vinyl Podcast Network. If you like my YouTube channel, please subscribe and follow the channel for more videos to come in the future. And if you are just hearing this podcast for the very first time, please review and subscribe via Apple Podcasts. It would really help my YouTube channel and this podcast, and I would greatly appreciate it. So, until next time, thank you so much for tuning in to the I Am Vinyl Podcast And I'll see you for our next episode right here at cnjradio.com.